Hello, everyone. I'm Therese Van Ryn, and I welcome you to our Your Edge podcast. We have a very special update to share with you today about some work Zebra has been doing to help increase the number of beds available for COVID-19 patients in Europe. If you follow along with our Your Edge blog, you'll recall that we spoke with healthcare experts from APAC and North America in late April about the challenges faced and progress being made as cities, states, and entire countries rushed to set up temporary COVID-19 care facilities in the early days of the outbreak. What we didn't disclose at that time was that members of our Zebra team in Europe were on the ground with partners and public officials setting up a 4,000-bed emergency field hospital, a project that was completed in only nine days. Dave Taylor, who joins us today for our Your Edge podcast discussion, was one of many people on the front lines of this massive effort. Now that he's recovered from that sprint, we're looking forward to hearing about his experience and some of the key learnings that could benefit others around the world who are continuing to set up temporary COVID-19 acute care facilities today. We're also joined by Wayne Miller. He is the director of Zebra's healthcare practice for the entire EMEA region and has a strong pulse on some of the local healthcare community's goals, lingering challenges, and successes to date. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Wayne, could you kick us off, please, by sharing some of your thoughts about the ongoing challenges that healthcare providers and, more specifically, hospitals are facing in your region right now as a result of COVID-19? Certainly can. Um, I think unprecedented change is not an over-exaggeration. I think healthcare systems and us as members of the public, you know, take when we step outside of, of Zebra, we're a, a member of the public, we all are, we've, you know, been introduced to social distancing, which, you know, we go back six or seven months we've never heard of. Um, you know, this is a, a pandemic, which is the first one I've lived through. So we've seen this unprecedented change and I'm not a frontline worker, but there's been a a change in healthcare to make sure that um, we treat this population health pandemic. We've been asking people not to go to hospital. You know, we've, that's never existed. That's never happened in in my lifetime before. So huge change. I think hopefully we are over the the main hump of infection rate, the R number which was something we'd not been confronted with before. We've all learned about our numbers. So, yeah, huge change, I think, um, probably the busiest for the healthcare community in living memory. Mm -hmm. And are you seeing technology being maximized or utilized to help address some of the pain points? Maximized? um, I wouldn't say maximized. You opened up by saying, you know, we, we... we created a hospital, a 4,000-bed hospital in seven days, which, which is true. I don't think there was the time scale to maximize that technology. What I would say is this is a, a back-to-basics and the foundation of our healthcare systems, both inside Zebra, inside the hospital, is that patient identity piece. How do we make sure we have the right patient? How do we make sure we're taking samples from the right patient to go down to the lab? So the results are meaningful and attached to the right patient record. That's certainly happening, but more of that mobile computing, the higher end of our technology, not so much so. And as as I said before, in seven days, it's it's hard to get too much technology deployed. Sure, sure, absolutely. 
Dave, I understand that you played a hands-on role in the deployment of some of some of Zebra's healthcare technology solutions in the largest emergency field hospital in the UK. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And, and like Wayne, I'm not normally a frontline worker either, but myself, uh, Jess Greenwood, who is uh, my opposite number in the north of England, and Gary Malcolm, who is one of our uh, sales engineers, uh, volunteered to uh, support on site to get the project up and running. So effectively, we turned up with a, a kit bag full of what we thought would be about right, um, aligned that with what was actually available in the channel, because we had to work with what we could get, not what we ideally wanted. Um, and we got to work working with the team there to get things set up. and. Although we ourselves weren't working flat out for seven days, and that's the amount of time it took to go from beginning to end, uh, setting up a field hospital. It's a big site. It's about a kilometer in length. Um, and on both sides, it was emptied out, uh, recreated as a, a sets of, of wards, and uh, enough um, uh, space and resource for 4,000 beds was set up. Live, by the time we left after the seventh day, it was uh, it was 500 working beds that were available uh, as we left the site. Mm -hmm. And you've been involved in setting up similar workflows and technology systems in a traditional hospital before. I would imagine this field environment was quite different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but by 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 definition, it had to be a subset of of what we would normally provide. Um, and, and this this varies from hospital to hospital in normal circumstances. But we touch the the patient flow pretty much from uh, admission through to discharge, uh, through the patient journey and patient identification, positive patient ID, specimen collection, asset management, um, observations, integration with the electronic patient records, staff collaboration, all of those things. Um, in the field hospital, it had to be the, the, the bare minimum, but robust. And so what we stuck with was positive patient ID based on wristbanding, barcode wristbanding. Um, and uh, specimen collection, mainly bloods, but also other swabs and, and, and uh, ongoing tests um, uh, to support the ICU activity. And sorry, just to be clear here, what these uh, field hospitals were, were effectively a mass ICU. Um, anyone who had underlying medical conditions, other healthcare conditions, were, were retained in normal NHS uh, hospitals, or at least that was the plan. Luckily, we haven't seen so much of a spike that the NHS was overwhelmed in the UK. That hasn't happened, and so the field hospitals are a, a very valuable safety net, and hopefully we'll continue to not have to use them. But, but yes, the, the technology there was, was robust but basic in comparison to uh, our, our normal engagement with the hospital. Sure. And what would you say have been some of the most significant key learnings from this project? Uh, you know, however much of a rush you're in, there aren't any shortcuts. Um, you know, there were a couple of times when we thought to ourselves, "Okay, let's let's go with this." And in fact, unfortunately, you have to put the legwork in testing, retesting, um, validating, um, going back to the beginning, and making sure that you've done it all correctly. Um, yeah, that there's there is a 
there's a temptation under pressure of time and people, you know, a, a, an enormous project like that with a deadline. You don't want to be the person at the end of the day who didn't manage to get your thing done and everyone sits there looking at you. So there's that temptation to rush things. But I'd, I'd say uh, there are no shortcuts. That's what I learned. You have to mm. do it all from scratch. Sure. That applies to this and many other projects, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. This last question is for both of you. How do you see healthcare in the region evolving as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak? Are there best practices that you think will stick around for long-term or technologies that you think are being proven right now that could have long-term value and applicability? Dave, how about you? Well, I know what I'd like to see, and we're already seeing um, uh, interest in this accelerating quite quickly. So. Um, one of the things that's been a, a, a major uh, driver outside of healthcare specifically has been contact tracing. Um, but you can imagine for infection control um, and isolation, that same practice within a hospital could become essential. And where previously patient flow, patient location has been seen as a way of increasing efficiency, which is an important thing, um, and resource management within a hospital, I think the, the added impetus of being able to, A, manage and isolate and control the movement of patients who are diagnosed as COVID-19 positive, but also for isolating those and protecting those who are particularly sensitive and just generally looking after the, 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 uh, the, the, the patient population within a hospital. I, I think that real-time location, traceability and analytics on patient flow through a system will we'll come to the fore and we're, we're already seeing um, requests to demonstrate and explain what we can do around that. And of course, we already have the medical equipment management, um, locationing and asset management. So I think there's, 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 there's huge scope for those to start to overlap and interact and, and, and really for the, the promise of these technologies to really become a reality as, as, as as the reality of what we have to deal with um, is, 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 uh, is, is dealt with. So yeah, I can see that these technologies will, will accelerate in their adoption as the requirement to analyze and predict where control of outbreaks is within the hospital. Mm -hmm. Wayne, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I think Healthcare's changed for the short and medium term. I think we could all agree that. And we've seen, I spoke about the R number before, and in healthcare, uh, it's been definitely in Europe, I'm sure it's been the same in, uh, in the US, they've been asking patients not to come to hospital at certain points. And then when you look at the statistics, we're missing about 60% of heart attacks and strokes in our emergency departments in, in the UK. So there will be a return to normal and not, not you know, a strange use of the word normal. So we, we will see patients returning to hospital. We will have a lot of people that are nervous and going back to, to Dave's point, I think contact tracing will be an important part of this. There are uh, certain issues here that can only be solved by technology. I mean, some of the good practices that have come in, I mean, social distancing, I think we're going to see that around for a, a longer period of time. I think we will also see healthcare become more smaller and more local. Do we want to encourage, you know, a whole city to go to one or two hospitals 
or do we want to push some of that healthcare provision out into the community where you know we we drive localized if we were to drive an infection it becomes a localized infection so it's around it's about keeping that r number down it's about making sure that we have some return to normal for caring for patients and a lot of these and dave's covered these or a lot of these are uh, in the lap of technology to solve so definitely a change in the short medium uh, i think we need to see this play out there are some fears that there could be you know some smaller more minor infections in the in the fall i think we have to see this play out to decide whether it's a, a long-term change but certainly change in healthcare without a doubt thank you both wayne and dave for calling in today we really appreciate the information you shared with us and we look forward to talking with you again in the near future about additional healthcare trends and technology implementations across the mea And we hope our listeners have found this valuable as well. Thank you again for listening and stay tuned for more expert insights here on our Your Edge podcast.